My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. And then at the end of the day, I mean, it doesn't depend on how many problems you've got, it depends on how long you hold on to it. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with successful property investor and accountant David Wu. Join us as we delve into the many properties he's invested into, the power of investing in property, the importance of holding long term and much, much more. First off, Wu tells us a little bit about what he does. I'm a chartered accountant um, in uh, public practice. Um, basically, I have a um, practice in Sydney CBD, uh, accounting and tax. I've got two business partners. Been in practice um, since um, 1997, so 20-odd years. Well, we do a lot of tax return work, uh, but my um, expertise and favorite is in tax planning, tax advisory, especially in the property-related um, um, matters relation to tax. And he shares what a typical day looks like for him. A typical day start with uh, obviously uh, going back to the office, I um, read a financial review. Um, that's uh, very important because I need to apprise of what's happening in the financial world. And uh, um, even though I'm an accountant, I need to broaden my, uh, my, my knowledge and view on all aspects on financial matters. And then I obviously hit, uh, hit, the, uh, hit the email and then see whether there's email that I need to attend to urgently. And then I follow my plan. I've got a, um, you know, um, a day, day list. So what you need to do, etc. the night before, I list down what is, uh, need to be done. Now I go to look at the uh, the job list, review some of the jobs. As I told you before, I'm uh, looking at the tax return, so I'm getting out of the way. And then I spend the the other good part of the day um, looking at how to how to um, make sure that clients are being serviced. Um, I have this, um, you know, I'm not sure why you heard about that the red activity. Uh, blue activity and black activities. So red activities are those that's basically um, not really um, productive, like uh, looking at administration. The blue are the one that is actual charging the client by reviewing the files, etc. And then the black activities are the one that's basically uh, marketing uh, to uh, train staff and then to make sure that we have uh, uh, a plan in place to bring in new client and then to generate. So I spend a lot of time in, in doing that sort of play activities. In regards to this color system Wu uses for dividing up his tasks, 
He tells us where he learned it from and a little more about it. I learned from someone else. Yeah, I actually, um, it's not original from me. Uh, I have to pay uh, credit to those. I, I don't know who, who invented it. But then look at it. I mean, a lot of us just, uh, oh, these are the main streaming activity. The one that is generating your income instantly, which is the brew. The one that is not generating income as such, that's overhead, that your chit-chatting, the, 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 I mean, the one that is potentially generating income in the future, the black activity. So depending on how you focus on those, a lot of uh, people just focus on, on the brew one, which is good, generating income instantly, but then you have to look at long-term plan where you can get some income in the future. Wu goes on to tell us about his upbringing, what he did after high school and when he immigrated to Australia. I was born in Hong Kong and then um, raised up there and then um, typical um, middle-class family. My parents, um, they are um, businessmen uh, doing some export trade. So in a way, we are we have a family of of six. I've got, I'm the eldest one. I've got two brothers and uh, one younger sister. So we are quite lucky because we are from from, from our start. We are we are being looking up, being looked after by the parents. We are being uh, have good education. I mean, uh, and then um, we have a lot of um, good um, uh, um, clothing, and then live in good environment. We can't. We can't say that we're very rich, but we're middle class, typical Hong Kong people. So, um, yeah, and then I studied um, science uh, in my high school and then wanted to go into the medicine uh, to study doctor, but I failed my university entrance exam, so I couldn't get into medicine, I got into science. And then after graduate in 83, I um, studied a master's degree and doing some research work in Hong Kong. And at that time, and then um, the um, family, um, my father planned to migrate over here because of, at that time, they have the problem with the, the 1997 or China taking over Hong Kong. So my parents were also afraid of that political situation. So we, um, so he, he applied for migration and we got um, the um, visa, the Berlin visa, and then we migrated here in 1986. And then once I'm in Australia, I wanted to continue my science um, work, but then not much opportunity there. So I switched into accounting. So <laughs> a bit of a bit of a big change. Although most of Wu's family decided to stay in Australia, not all of them did. Well, my parents uh, stay, uh, obviously because of the business connection. Um, it's just that um, for us, we have to come over here to study. And then um, now all uh, brother and sister, they are here, but my parents still in Hong Kong. Obviously, they prefer the, the way of life over there. So all of uh, me and my brothers and sisters, they are all citizens, but my parents, they are still holding a permanent resident visa only because they didn't spend enough time here to get a citizenship. With the current situation in Hong Kong with the Chinese government, Wu tells us as to whether his parents are considering moving elsewhere. It's a mixed feeling. So obviously they wanted to stay there because of the connections and the, of the relatives there and then the language and then the environment. On the other hand, um, there come a point where the, the protests in Hong Kong getting more severe and then affecting not only the, uh, you know, the day-to-day, -day, affecting the day-to-day -day life of, of every uh, people, ordinary people. 
So、um, they are seriously thinking of coming over here to to stay for good. Schooling in Hong Kong for Wu was a little different from how schools operate in Australia. At that time, back in my days, they have actually、um, 13 years. So six years is primary school, and in high school we call form one to form seven. So that means seven plus six is 13. So、um, form one and to form six is equivalent equivalent to the year seven to year twelve here, and then the the form seven, which is they call it a pre. Pre-matriculation school year that's preparing you you for the university. So、um, that means that、uh, we have put,、um, seven years of high school. So the system in Hong Kong is very much um, very um, so called spoon feeding. So it's just you know a lot of focus on academic, not much as a diverse, diverse、uh, broad-based teaching as in Australia. And then every people just doing a lot of.、Uh, Study, work, to 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 tuition, and just want to get into the elite、um, uh, university of Hong Kong and in Chinese University of Hong Kong. And at that time, the only two two、um, university which is you know famous, which is Chinese University and Hong Kong University. So a lot of people spend a lot of time, money, effort in trying to get into those prestigious universities. When he was in Hong Kong, Wu did work a little before he came to Australia and decided to pursue further studies. Yeah, I work a little bit in my father's、uh, company to help him out、um, in the, the import export trading.、Um, when I was young, I had always had the、um, intention to succeed、uh, my family's、uh, to help him out, but then I find it to be quite、um, difficult because my my interest is not in that area. So I、uh, after. Studying my master in Hong Kong, which is also science, I just、uh, have the opportunity to come over here to explore to see what、um, opportunities open to me, and、um, and then I find it okay to science, and then you can either do further research or you go to do teaching work, and、uh, at the time not much,、uh, not that many opportunities, so I look at around and okay, may as well do a master degree in commerce, which is a degree that. Not require any uh, commerce um, first degree, so if you have a science background, you can still do a master in commerce. So they give you they they give me some some uh, uh, knowledge into the, the accounting and business world. So I then did it's only a two year course is UNSW Master of Commerce. So I did that when in、uh, in eighty seven eighty eight. So、um, then I. Find it to be quite interesting in that areas where I choose accounting because obviously accounting is the basic of everything. So once you know accounting, then you can branch into a, a lot of areas, know the numbers and and finance and what have you. Whilst he was studying, Wu decided not to obtain a part-time job because of the mindset he grew up with. At the time, I was full-time study, and then I am、um, with hindsight, I would have been better if I get some job opportunity. But then, being from Hong Kong, the the、um, mindset is okay, study, 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 and then you <laughs> and then you you can find a job. So we we don't have the mentality of doing part-time job and doing part-time study. So and also on my as I said, my my background is、um, relatively comfortable, and then we don't need to work in order to get、uh, get a living. So, but that's. Good and bad because obviously that means I don't have the exposure of, of getting some real life experience in work, which is totally different from what you learn at school and uni. He tells us a bit about where he lived with his siblings when he first moved to Australia. We live in one house together, and then、uh, obviously、um, 
basically uh, when I when we migrated here, we don't know everybody. So my my father bought a house near my uncle, in in the southern area in Blackhurst near Hurstville. So we all lived together in one house, and then uh, it was a very big house, so uh, a lot of things to look after, to clean, to to do a lot of stuff. And then uh, obviously in Hong Kong we have some people to help. Like in Hong Kong we have got the Philippine uh, domestic helper. In Australia, obviously everything have to be done by ourselves. So that's another reason why my parents didn't want to come over here in the first place. Wu walks us through the process by which he arrived at his current place of employment. After my study, actually, I I, I went back to Hong Kong to um, work for six months to uh, join a big accounting firm uh, called Price Waterhouse, and then after six months, I think I think I can't um, stand the work pressure in Hong Kong, and I actually wanted to come back to Australia for good. So I just came back in um, okay at that time I got a job in a small accountancy firm in in Crossness. so I joined the, I joined them <clears throat> and um, for for the bit of I think one a bit year and then unfortunately at the time we experienced the recession we had to have in 1991 so at the time my my um, firm said look um, I, uh, they can't uh, retain me because obviously they're going to downsize and they, because of the recession not much work so I uh, was asked to leave and then I spent about a few months uh, without work and then after that I have um, been able to um, apply for a job in my current firm which is Richard Bob that's I think that was in August 1991 and um, at the time obviously um, it was quite difficult to find jobs so I said okay if there's opportunity I might as well grab it and since August 1991 until now, I'm staying with this Bob. Um, I became the partner in 1997. When the firm first started, it was about three partners and 12 staff, and not much, as Wu tells us, has changed since then. Actually, the firm was started by the founding partner who founded the firm in 1982. So when I joined in 1991, they already uh, quite quite decent size. And after I joined the firm in 1991, I worked six years and then... Uh, until 1997, I've become as a partner. We still have some um, three partners now, and then the firm is probably around the same size, about uh, 10 staff. So we have been moving a few times. We, when we first joined the firm, we, are, we were in Castlebury Street, and then we moved to uh, O'Connell Street, uh, a bigger firm, a bigger size uh, office in uh, 2003, and then in 2000. Eight, when the GFC hit, um, we have to downsize and move over here to the, to the current uh, um, location in Hunter Street. We are here since 2008 for the very part, good part of 11 years. Wu explains why downsizing for businesses occurred due to events like the recession and GFC. At the time when 1991, um, you know, the famous um, Paul Keating basically said, okay, we have to have the recession. So at the time, it was a lot of um, business activity. They, they shrink because obviously our business rely on the client's activity. So the, the client the business activity, uh, the more they have, the more we'll be able to handle the, the tax return uh, accounting work. So a lot of them, they just either retrench and then some of them they close down. So that's why they don't need um, the accountant and then they don't need a lot of um, you know other uh, tax work so um, that's that's why we have to have this um, you know if we don't have that work um, we need to sort of reduce our 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 staff level as well 
So yeah, and overhead as well. So we have to reduce the the size of the office and what have you. Same in the GFC, it, it is very much the same. A lot of um, business they actually uh, actually GFC was worse than the recession in 1991 because a lot of business actually we we witness a lot of the business they they really have to retrain a lot of staff, uh, especially in our in our firm. A lot of us our our clients are property. Uh, Based. So developers and investors. So if the property uh, affected, like a lot of the people, they cannot uh, build uh, and sell their property. So they affect a lot of uh, of their business. He tells us about the cycles a firm like theirs goes through over time when it comes to the number of clients they have. The clients basically disappear, and then either they reduce in the volume, and then we we. we at the time when we moved to O'Connell Street, it was quite good because that's the reason why we moved from Castlereagh to O'Connell. That's between uh, 2000, 2003, and that is a booming period. Um, obviously, um, as you know, at the time, they, it was uh, probably was uh, going up. And then uh, a lot of people buy off plan and then etc. I may have to share another story later on in the podcast about that point as well. And, and then since 2003, 4 and 5 and then building up all the way until 2007 and 8, then we hit the GFC. So it, it's in a cycle. There is a reason why the accounting firm focuses on property, which Wu tells us. The history of the firm is like the founding partner, Richard Bob. He's uh, Lebanese, so he's got a lot of Lebanese clients to start with when he founded the firm. So a lot of Lebanese, as you know, they are into the building game. So we still have a lot of clients. My current client, they are also um, Lebanese. And then um, we still have other clients as well, uh, which is in the building game. Like uh, we have Greek client, we have Italian client. But the main uh, uh, source of client to start with are the Lebanese kind, and then there are a lot of building uh, constructions and then property investment, and hence our firm. Uh, most of the the the, um, the clientele they are property uh, focused. Coming up after the break, we'll explore why David Wu decided to start investing in property. I mean. Obviously, business is one thing. My, my father and my mother work very, very hard um, when they are young and then based on this um, manufacturing and then uh, import-export business. But once they've got generally a little bit more income, then they put money in the property. Some of the properties he invested in over the course of his journey. They promised to throw you up there, inspect the property and then if you are not good, then, then they sign a contract and then if I remember still, uh, it was a town house in Runaway Bay in, in, in the Gold Coast. One of his worst investing moments, which turned out to be a great learning experience for him. Obviously, um, at a, at a, at, and then it was a good price but on hindsight, could have held, it, held on to it. And that's next. I'm Taran Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. For Wu, his parents had an impact on him getting into property and he also tells us a bit about why he thinks property is so powerful. It's probably has been um, the, the the main game in Hong Kong uh, because of, of the Hong Kong background. Uh, Hong Kong is a very tiny uh, place and there are a lot of people so property become very scarce commodity. 
So a lot uh, because of our of our family history. I mean, obviously, business is one thing. My my father, my mother work very very hard、um, when they are young, and then based on this.、Um, Manufacturing and then、uh, import-export business. But once they have got generate a little bit more income, then they put money in the property. And you see wealth grow substantially when you have the good property portfolio. It grows so rapid and so fast that you can't even earn that sort of money in your lifetime. In your that it just is chalk and cheese. So that's why that's my that's it that's. Started my interest in in property because obviously how much time you got you got maximum you got twenty four hours a day, you know even if you work twenty four hours a day to earn your income, it cannot compare with the scale that the property can afford you. You can have you know one property two property and let it grow, and let the income compound, and that's why the property investment is so powerful. Yeah, I totally agree, and especially in Hong Kong, the price of property over there—it's just for a piece of a unit—it's just so high. Hong Kong is a little bit unrealistic. That's very true. To give listeners maybe a perspective, how much would you say on average just a, a two two bedroom unit is worth now in Hong Kong, say in comparison? Ah,、uh, depends on the location, I suppose. If you're in a good location, a two bedroom unit, in Australian dollar term, you're looking at、um, one. Five two million dollars. Yeah, that's what I heard as well, and it, it's it's fascinating because like, and the size is small. I tell you, and the size don't 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 think about the size in two bedroom is about you know here maybe about eighty ninety square meter. No way in Hong Kong two bedroom unit we're looking at about fifty sixty square meter max. That's what I hear as well. So it's like wow, you get you don't get very much there, and, and that's probably why I think a lot of people, especially from Hong Kong and China. Um, prefer sort of to purchase property in Australia because you get land. You know, for that kind of money, if you sold up your units, however many you have, you could easily buy yourself, you know, many many houses here. Absolutely right. That's fascinating. Yeah. So after the Hong Kong experience, obviously when I come over here, it's、uh, looking at the property here as well. So I. And then exposed to um, some um, people's um, investment, and I find okay, cool. I mean,、uh, property investment is not bad. So actually, my my parents start investing in property, and then I also personally start、um, looking at investing in property. Wu's first property was quite a surprising one, and gave him great experience when it came to property investing. First of all, is my home here in Australia. Obviously,、um, it was、um, near my father's place. So we, but actually, bought a, a rundown property and we actually built our home back in 1992. It was quite、um, a, a daunting experience because we have to,、uh, we, because we have no experience. We have to rely on on the builder that's referred to、uh, us. Actually, the builder is also the builder who sold the property to my to my parents. So okay, we. We we actually、um, have we bought the property、uh, rundown and then we have to demolish it. And at the time we didn't demolish it. There's a situation where people want to buy a property. It was a it was a jeep it was a weather、uh, was a jeep property which is a weather bought、um, uh, roof and what have I don't know the term. But then they actually literally come to move the whole property on a big truck and move it away. I didn't realize it was still possible in 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 Sydney. I, I know they they do in Queensland a lot, but not in Sydney. Because some people buy it, and then it was、uh, I still remember it was 
very it was early morning because they had to do it when when the road is clear, no traffic, no stun, and then the whole thing they move it on a very big truck and move it away. So instead of demolishing it, the whole house uh, move away. And we start a plan, then build, and what have you. So that's why I've got the experience. Um, I think um, to build, to buy land and build, you have to instant equity because obviously uh, we look around to look at buying houses, but then the prices it's um, much uh, more expensive than the one that we spend. Obviously, depends on how how much money you prepare to spend, how good are your finishes. But then uh, I still believe um, this uh, first. Uh, property experience gave me some good uh, insight into I know uh, to buy and build uh, compared to just the buy of uh, finished products. And that's my first property uh, exposure. It's in Blakehurst. So it's a really really good area down there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, near my near my father's place. Um, and then obviously um, because that's my first home, so we spend all the time. But then it's not easy job because at that time we 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 uh, or the owner builder, so we have to do a lot of stuff, and then we have to keep the builders uh, doing the job. We have to keep on chasing them, up and then do a lot of um, running around, choosing the material, and it's a lot of hard work to be the owner builder. Yeah. So, how long did that process take from start to finish, if you remember? About twelve months. That's a reasonable amount of time. Reasonable amount of time. Yeah, yeah. The delay is basically from the neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> because the plans go over council and then they uh, they don't like this, they don't like that. And then also afterward, we need to build a fence in the front and then also get some objection from the neighbor. So, I mean, that's the only delay. Otherwise, the process is quite smooth. And the builder is good. I mean, he, he, he worked hard for us and then etc. So, I mean, 12 months is not too bad in, 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 in the scheme of things, yes. Is that still your current home or have you? Yes, it is. It is. Wu goes on to tell us whether he has been holding on to his properties as he did with his first one or buying and selling. Bit of both. Um, that's the actually um, my, my father when after he migrated here, he purchased some uh, units in Hurstville. And at the time, it was quite good. Um, we had the intention of holding it for long term. And then um, my father is that type of person who when he see profit, he want to realize it. So, <laughs> and then unfortunately at that time, we we we, we sold all the all the all the property. I think I remember at that time when we bought we bought in we bought in nineteen ninety two, and when we sold in nineteen ninety seven. So uh, at a decent profit, but then obviously with hindsight, if you could have kept it until today, uh, it will be much different. It was just this different ballgame. He takes us through a journey of other property investments that he's done, from one in Queensland to another one in New South Wales. After my home, obviously, and then I am looking at um, buying uh, property. We bought property in, in, in Queensland at the time. You know, I don't know whether you remember, um, probably you're too young. Uh, there's a company called Young & Co. They fry you. They promise to throw you up there, inspect the property, and then if you're not good, then then they sign a contract. And then, if I remember still, uh, it was a townhouse in Runaway Bay in 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 the Gold Coast. So me and my wife grew up there, and then um, sounds good. And then uh, we bought it, and uh, with obviously with um, bank loan, and then um, we held it for I think. 
for five years at a time, and then because of the distance, we couldn't look after it um, because obviously it's not it's in the state, so we have sold it. And that's my, our, my second venture in the property. And then we also purchased one property in Bankstown, also um, around that time. Um, and then also um, we held it for four or five years and then we sold it. I think it's mainly because uh, at the time um, the return is not that good. And then um, we want to um, um, use the money for our purposes. And then my third attempt is in um, Rockdale. Um, at the time, it was actually market was on the move up. Um, it was two thousand and and two, and my um, real estate agent friend bought one there of the plan. And I said, "Oh, if he buy one there, it can't be wrong." <laughs> so I just <laughs> borrowed him and bought one there. And that was a rock. It was in Rockdale Princess Highway. It was quite good. And then uh, we, I, I, I held it for, I think around eight years. I won, was two thousand two, and then we go through, and then we went through the GFC, and then um, two thousand eight, and then I have to sell in two thousand and I think we sold in two thousand ten because obviously we, uh, because of financial situation. So I've got to to realize it, and I've got to uh, move on. So, uh, but again, with hindsight, we were able, we were, I were able to hold on to that. So now, it was it was a one bedroom, uh, one study unit. Uh, I bought it for three fifty of the plan, and sold it for three sixty. It's a pretty even. But now, uh, how can you buy a three a one bedroom unit in Rockdale at that price? <laughs> Wu tells us more about his worst investing moment, which was the Rockdale property, and elaborates on why he purchased and sold it. That is absolutely the worst one. Um, it, it is actually, um, I think the lesson to learn is um, basically you buy over the plan, it's okay, and you buy on a rising market, it's okay. But then I suppose uh, let's learn it. When, when, when bad times come, when bad times hit, I think you have to have the the, the holding power, you have to have the, the determination and mindset to say, look, this is your original um, purchase, or what is it, what's the purpose for it, if it's a long-term investment or just buy and flick. And um, I suppose whether it depends on whether you really have to sell. And with hindsight, I don't have to sell. But at the time, all factors point that you better sell and then move on. So I were able actually, if, if at that time I can refinance, and then it would have been better off um, uh, by not selling. The reason why I purchased is because I still think um, um, it is property for the long term is a good investment. So plus the uh, the agent at the time he said it it, it is a good um, a good purchase, and obviously um, I basically uh, because he got experience in the area, and then I think this shouldn't be too bad. And read it for long term, and then um, actually it was a it was a it was quite it was a good unit. I I got good rent, and then it was a a um, the architecture, and then the finish was good, and then the one bedroom size is good with a good balcony overlooking um, the the Rockdale Plaza, and then you can see the airplane coming up and down um, in, the, in the sky. So I think it is it's good buy, but. As to why I need to sell, I think at the time, um, 
I look at because it was negative year, and then uh, also um, the cash flow probably um, may be a little bit challenging, and and also um, at the time everything is going down, and then you know back in the you know GFC the property get hit big time, and I've been through that a lot of property have been dropping, so the fear is it will drop further. So um, that is the, the 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 reason why I uh, sell. Obviously, two things: cash flow and the fear that is going to, to drop further. Um, but that's actually, um, I suppose, um, not enough information at the time for me to make good decisions. I could have done a bit more better research, and then uh, instead of just following um, everybody people's on the sale, not only me and even my my parents, they also um, sell their home um, in two thousand nine at the time. Um, obviously, um, at a at a and then it was a good price, but on with hindsight, could have held it, held onto it. I think that's that's all about hindsight, and I guess we all learn from those lessons because now that we look back and go, oh wow, you know, um, as you said, property is long term and it's a long term investment, but at sometimes circumstances, as you said, cash flow wasn't um, easy to maintain. Then you have to make that decision, and I, I can relate to that because my my parents had properties in Bergenhead Point and also in in the Sydney CBD as well, and timing wise, they sold it at the wrong times because. Yeah, one was at a loss and one was at a profit, so it ended up balancing. But imagine, I'm thinking, if they held on to both of them, gosh, the <laughs> the properties that they now worth twice as much as what they bought. I think they bought it for about three hundred odd thousand back then, and now it's worth over a mil. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's painful because I I would have said to them, give to me instead. <laughs> so I always told my dad. I mean, okay, some people sell because they want to realize profit, but then once realize profit, what you want to do with the money? Unless you re Put that in the property, but if you if that's the case, why sell? Because you incur transaction costs and stamp duty and whatever. So unless it is a a switching of of portfolio, like you switch from one area to another area, or you switch or you recycling, or you you are just selling the old one and buy a new one, or you switch from residential to commercial. I mean, property is is a, is a long term gain, and then at the end of the day, I mean, it depends on, um, you know how. Not many. Depends on not. It doesn't depend on how many property you've got. Depends on how long you hold on to it. So, inspired by David Wu's property journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Invest Story. We'll discuss his strategy. And second point is, um, I try to diversify into an area where you want to create equity instead of waiting for equity to come. The importance of good structuring. They are not only a good, uh, not only good land, they need a good structure because obviously once you got into a wrong structure, then it will be very costly to unravel it. The best advice he has ever received on his property journey? There are people who take, who who seek advice but they don't listen to advice. They are they think they are better than the other expert. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. 
With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.